This episode of Darts in the Dark is brought to you by San Francisco Climate Week. Whether you're a climate expert, founder, investor, or job seeker looking to break into the climate space, San Francisco Climate Week is where connections are made. From fireside charts to expert panels, San Francisco Climate Week is the place for anyone to learn about what's happening in the world of climate solutions. From launching new initiatives to deploying capital, getting people climate jobs, and beyond. The solution starts with you. In fact, you are the solution. Welcome to Darts in the Dark podcast. We talk about branding, marketing, communication, and sustainability. And through our conversations with leading voices throughout business and culture, we help shed light on how to move your audience to take meaningful action for your business and the planet. Thanks for tuning in to the special live recording episode of Darts in the Dark. I recently sat down with a panel during the first ever San Francisco Climate Week to host a conversation around evolving the climate narrative. I invited a stacked panel of climate communicators, including documentary filmmaker Richard Yellen, co-founder of climatedesigners.org, Mark O'Brien, and Cynthia Lohr, co-owner and chief brand officer of J. Lohr Vineyards and Wines. We covered a wide range of topics from engaging Gen Z, involving people from left right and center of the political spectrum, and how brands and organizations are engaging their audiences to tell stories and empower them to take action. It was an absolute honor to not only host the event and the panel, but also be part of the first ever San Francisco Climate Week. I truly hope you enjoy this special live recording episode of Darts in the Dark. This is our first live recording of the podcast. We're super excited to have everybody here. It's so cool to see people in person. It's been so long. This is such a cathartic moment to see people face to face. I have been in so many amazing events over the last five days and have seen fantastic scientists and researchers and policymakers. Today on the panel, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Everyone on here today is communicators and storytellers distilling down all the amazing stuff that everyone's doing into engaging and actionable communication. So really excited to have everyone on the panel. I'm going to start it off with Richard Yelland. Richard is a documentary filmmaker, a producer, a writer, and in my opinion, a master impact storyteller. Richard has made films such as Birth of the Endless Summer and Seeding Change, which will be screening tomorrow at California College of of the arts and uh, speaking of California College of the Arts, we have Mark O'Brien on the stage. Mark is co-founder of climatedesigners.org. Mark is an amazing, talented designer, strategist, and instructor at California College of the Arts. Give it up for Mark. (laughs) And so honored to have Cynthia Lore on the stage as well. Cynthia is co-owner and chief brand officer of Jaylor Vineyards and Wines, and we are super excited to have you. Jaylor Wines has been really at the forefront of sustainable winemaking for decades, generations. They are the premier sustainable winery and vineyards in California. I give it up for Cynthia. Thank you. 
So I actually want to start with you, Cynthia. Wine is really at the forefront of the effects of climate change. The seasons shift and change. We have wildfires that just completely decimate vintages. Walk us through how climate change is affecting the business and how you are shifting and changing your communications as those things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And great to be with you all. How excited are we to be together today? Oh, my goodness. Ooh. So happy. So uh, firstly, I will say that you can't look at climate change without putting a lens on the human toll. And because we're all storytellers, I'll tell you a sad story and then I'll move to not a more sad story, but I'll shift the focus. How many of you heard the story of the young five-year-old boy that got swept away in the floods in San Miguel? climate change. So we are Central Coast wine grape growers of 51 years, predominantly in Arroyo Seco in Monterey County, Paso Robles, and St. Helena. And the reason that it's such an honor for me to be here today, and I'll get the commercial away, is that our 4,000 estate acres are certified California Sustainable. 28 of our 41 wines are certified California Sustainable, two of which are here today. And then our three wine are certified California sustainable. So we've been at it for a very long time and the metrics are there. I could go on and on and on. So beyond the obvious, which is being unprepared for the bevy of climate events that are completely unexpected, that are changing yields, changing harvest time, smoke taint that, of course, in Northern California, Napa in particular, is really changing the face of day-to-day ag workers' livelihoods. I mean, if that's not the human toll of climate change as well. And we're seeing it at all levels. So last year, with all of the crazy events, yields, at least in the Central Coast, are down by more than 30%. We will find a way around that because at the end of the day, it's wine, it's not human toll. So how are we communicating about climate change? It's in everything we do. And it's really about humans at the center. And it has to be. Because for those of us in the industry, we're embracing the three E's of sustainability. Social equity, which is one facet that I'm particularly passionate about and devote a lot of my time as a co-owner and as a grad student getting my master's in public administration at this crazy age. Economic feasibility and then environmental stewardship. So certainly everyone talks most about environmental stewardship and fantastic, but if we're not talking about social equity and telling the real stories of how this is impacting our communities in every facet, then we're not doing climate change justice. I could talk on and on about how we do it through infographics and digital and every way that strikes an emotional chord with people because we know that metrics are there, they're going to stay, but we have to strike an emotional chord with people. I mean, it really is the through point. These are human stories. These affect everybody. I heard the story about that kid, and it was like, that didn't need to happen. So, Mark, you teach kids, I don't want to say kids, that's not the right word, but college kids. College students (laughs) seeking higher education, but really, like, what you teach is an elective right, and so what's your take on sort of the zeal of sounds so old, but like the younger generation. But like, you know, what's your take on the kids as they're coming into your course? Sure. So 
to give you some context, I teach a class called Climate Designers at CCA. I teach it in the interaction design and graphic design, both grad and undergrad programs. It's an elective, so they choose to take the class. They want to be there. And they're pissed off. They're angry. They're motivated. They're scared. They're everything in between. And so day one, and I've been teaching the class for maybe five semesters now. Day one, I quickly go to solutions because I want to get them right off the bat to let them know that solutions exist and that they can have a viable career path if they were to pursue this work as any kind of designer. And so throughout the whole semester, we have real talk. I mean, maybe part of my job is therapy because we have some hard conversations in the class. I always start the class out with what's happening in the world. And I want them to talk about what's going on in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, in the US, around the globe, whether it's climate or not, because everything is connected to climate change. And so we have the first 10 minutes or so of every class talking about real world events and having them get a more global understanding and then how design can play a role in that. But yeah, young people, I see it in them. I try to bring a lot of examples of climate activists who are their age into the classroom so that they can see themselves in those individuals where, you know, once they graduate, they can play a role in some form or another. Let's draft off of that. Richard, your film Seeding Change has actually spun out an educational platform, right? So talk us through that and how did that come about and how has the educational component of a documentary film come to be? Yeah, it's really interesting with Seeding Change, the power of conscious commerce. It started more as a mission to tell a story of a company that was actually through their business model, helping preserve the rainforest. And so the company, Samazon, has over 20 years has helped preserve over 2 million acres of rainforest by the way that they sustainably harvest the acai berry. So in the process of making that film, wanted to dig deeper into the actual bigger story. What are the stakes at hand? And as we talked about the opening of this conversation, we're dealing with floods, hurricanes, fires. While we're making the movie, we're seeing the result of climate change unfolding. And my job as a documentarian is to really bring to audiences the stakes. This is what we're dealing with. So how do we actually tell the story of why we're actually doing this? Why are we saving the rainforest through a business model? As a documentarian exploring deeper stories and trying to connect with a larger audience, climate change is something that touches all of us. It affects everyone. So we're looking at brands as a collective working together. When you look into Samazon's story, it's not just their story. They were working 20 years ago at the conventions to work together to come up with sustainable solutions. So we started talking to Numi Organic Tea and Guayaquil Yerba Mate and Dr. Bronner's and companies that were doing this 20 years ago that were struggling to find a way to make a sustainable company. Now these are the leaders and trailblazers. So what we found in the telling of the story of Samazon was a collective of brands that came together 20 years ago and that set out on this mission. And so through the process of trying to tell a single story, we tapped into this larger collective story, and it just so happened that we're able to galvanize the bigger issue that connects all of us. So once you get into trying to tell the story where you're connecting dots across industries, across food waste, and preserving the rainforest, and let's get the plastic out of the ocean, it becomes a much more ambitious undertaking. And at the same time, who's going to help us with the next generation? So all of those things, when you watch the film if you're able to come watch tomorrow you'll see that at the center of the story is a group of people trying to make change creating a triple bottom line business model that considers people planet and profit it's also companies that are tapping the next generation like mark said that are actually working on 
green businesses involving students in schools across the country, working on getting grant money to those students. So in the film, we actually not only talked about what is social entrepreneurship, but we also talked to the next generation. And what was so inspiring, you know, and, and kind of going from the doom and gloom to the actual hope and the positive messaging, ultimately everyone knows the doom and gloom story. We have to say, look, these are the stakes at hand, but really we want to focus on solutions. So the solutions are who are some of these great examples, these leaders across industries? What are they doing? How can they inspire us and show us the way? And then how are we tapping the energy of the next generation? So this idea of voting with your dollars, that we have the power with every purchase we make. And so the narrative that connected everyone through the movie was, hey, we can make a difference right now. We don't have time to waste. By seeking out these companies and these brands that are making a difference, when you're now going to buy wine, you might consider to choose a company that is sustainably practicing. Whereas when you go buy a Yerba Mate and you buy a Guayaquil or you buy a Sambazon drink, you're actually helping preserve a specific part of the rainforest rather than if you might buy this soda beverage that's made from soy that's cutting the rainforest down. So you might start thinking differently. And you, know, you start thinking about voting with your dollars or voting with your students or thinking about as an employee at a company at the board table, voting with your board members. We start thinking about solutions every day. I mean, I just found around from where I'm staying the McCharlies and I'm able to have a Big Mac, but it's plant-based. And I'm thinking, wow, this is cool. I'm getting to have this experience at the same time instead of eating that beef burger I'm having some kind of alternative and you start kind of getting inspired and you get energized by the process of starting to make change immediately and I think that we've got to give as storytellers the viewers the consumers that hope that they can do something and I think that with all the doom and gloom narratives we've had feeling of hopelessness and I think that what we've also found through getting out and talking to audiences that even the people that aren't supporting our political views deep down as humans they have these values that are shared values. We all want to contribute to a better planet for our kids. The first step is getting us all together. And I think to wrap up, for me personally, what's really exciting, when we released the film, it was exciting to have really a great success with the film festivals, winning awards and things like that. But we had digital film festivals because of the pandemic. So this is only the second time that we're going to be able to screen the film in front of an audience. So this is so cool that it brings us together where we can have these dialogues. And I think that's where it starts, getting people together, having the dialogues, and then we can start finding our way through. Yeah. And I'll just add that you're bringing this beautiful film to us and bringing it across the country in film festivals. Yeah. Inspiration really is all around us. And I'll tell a little story that has opened my eyes dramatically. And not just because she's my 20-year-old daughter, but we were talking about what it means to actually live this change and be a change agent. So my daughter's 20, and she's studying geography and environmental studies. And she's passionate about it because she's passionate about, for instance, a choice, plant-based eating, and what plant-based means on the environment and greenhouse gas emissions and water conservation and more. And it's a choice that she is making, but she screams from the mountaintops 
and is very well researched and can't talk enough about this. She is her own climate advocate and she's inspiring those around her and our families and communities and her college and all of that. This is the generation. I mean, we are all stewards of our agency, but this is what we have to look forward to is we've given birth to young people who are going to be the mouthpieces for the next generation for what we know are the values that we need to uphold in order to be a sustainable multi-generation family business. So it's pretty amazing when you look around and you see just what's out there in terms of inspiration that we're all leading. Inadvertently, I think the theme that we're talking about today is just the next generation and what they're doing and what they're interested in and the passion that they bring to the conversation. I think all three of you are masters of your own domain in terms of telling the stories and obviously affecting a pretty wide audience as the theme of today's event is evolving the climate narrative. Are there any things that you feel are being under-communicated and under-represented? Yes. I'm sure I'm not the only one. So I'll just jump in. We need to demystify the jargon that surrounds the Sustainable Development Goals and ESG and bring kids into the conversation with regard to how they would tell this story to their peers. Because we know how passionate kids get at any age, right? We've seen it. And even for me, I've been with my business. I'm a boomerang. So I rejoined my family business 22 years ago. And hard to believe that even in our sustainable focus, ESG SDG is new to me of only a couple of years. And if you ask a young person, what is the definition of greenhouse gases? What are emissions? What's carbon sequestration? Do we have a solid unified answer? I don't think so. And so I don't know what that looks like. I just know that kids are some of our most incredible evangelists in tackling any problem solving. And so if we can get them to be part of this, how do we communicate a unified front? And I don't want to say dumb it down, but make these terms accessible. Bring live case studies that show how you make carbon sequestration happen. I mean, I know how it happens in the vineyards, but how are we going to teach and inspire others to lower their carbon footprint if we're not really clear on what every single definition is and how we're going to take those next steps? Let's get concrete. Let's get out of the blue sky. I think it's a good point. Funny enough, it took a professor to create a glossary for my film, and we tried to dumb it down, but there's a lot of language involved. There's a lot of science, right? Because we have to be accurate, because we're leading the narrative. So how do we take things that are really challenging to explain? I mean, first of all, I just wanted the film to be something that could actually be shown in classes. But my goal was, how can we create a piece of entertainment that could actually hold a film festival audience that might want to be there, because they feel like they have to be there, but they actually, to do something after they watch the movie, they have to leave. And they can't just look at a website at the end and donate a few dollars. Like, that's not going to work right now. So demystifying, right, the language, I think it's really simplifying the action in action. So inspiration, solutions, right? Because how do I contribute? How do I take part? Oh, making it easy. Like, hey, I can just drive an electric car and put solar panels on my roof. Like, I can be part of this. And I'm not actually taking a stand politically. I don't really have to know the science. I just kind of know, like, this is the way. I think that with storytelling is that we sometimes, thinking about what we need to do too much, we're thinking about our strategy, we're thinking about the science too much. Because at the end of the day, we need to find a story 
that's going to move someone and that's going to make them take action. So I think that's the big challenge is to dig deeper for the human stories, the stories that are going to capture that audience, is going to move that audience and make them want to go out and make change. And data as a storytelling tool. I'm all about data visualization, and I am sure many of you guys are as well. An amazing visual came out. It is, has anyone heard of a worldindata.org? Yahoo! Pretty awesome stuff. For instance, CO2 emissions by sector. And for my industry, I just learned that thankfully, ag is only about 4%. And then they broke down the life cycle of a bottle. 76% is glass, glass weight, and 13% split between viticulture and enology. So we're taking all of this data and going, okay, how are we going to you know, break it apart and tell the richer story? But you've got to use data to uphold your stories, and I'm sure you find that in your teachings as well. Yeah, I want to go back to what Richard said a few minutes ago about the doom and gloom narrative. I see some friends out there, you might have heard this. So one of my talking points in my classes, in my talks that I give at conferences, and I believe Tim mentioned this at the earlier recording, we really need to get away from this doom and gloom narrative. Mass media doesn't do it justice. It's a dangerous narrative. And when we are bombarded by that, it doesn't excite people to get out of bed. It doesn't excite them to want to get up and do something about it. And so I propose that we rewrite that narrative and we change it to doom and bloom, where the doom part is still important. We have to acknowledge that we're going into this uncertain future. Let's not look past that. But the bloom part, B-L-O-O-M, is an opportunity for us to show what's possible. Imagine all the new jobs, all the new economies, all the new products, all the new services, all the new ways of living. And how can we show what's possible? How can we as designers, any designers in the room? Yeah, my people. How can we, along with a lot of other folks who are able to visualize that future, what can we do to show people what's possible so that they can see themselves in that world so that they can then figure out what skills that they have so that they can go and achieve that. And so this doom and bloom narrative is just something I've been like trying to scream off at mountaintops. It's an opportunity for us to change the narrative. All of this, everything that has made us get into this clusterfuck is all based on narrative. We've allowed industries to write narratives that we feel is truth and in reality it's not. It benefits them, it doesn't benefit us. And that's the title of today, right? Evolving Climate Narratives. And so how can we collectively figure out what that is and then show people what's possible? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, let's give it up for all three of them. That's, that was really inspiring. I think when we talk about shifting the narratives, a lot of the narratives out right now, and this I think plays just to our base psychology, when we talk about utopias versus dystopian narratives, right? I don't know how many people saw The Last of Us, amazing show, grim, just heart-wrenching. And then Apple just came out with Extrapolations. Has anyone seen that? It's on Apple TV, there's huge names behind it, and they put zero dollars to promote that narrative. I watched it, I thought it was good. Grim. They're not really giving us these utopian storylines. If you're a Star Trek fan versus Star Wars, right, this is, I think, a really good analogy. Star Wars is grim. The Imperial <laughs> fleet, and it's very grim. When you talk about Star Trek, it's a utopian narrative. And I think right now we lack utopian storylines. Mark and I have talked a lot about solar punk, which I think is an undertold storyline. Anyone know solar punk? More people need to know about solar punk. Google it when you get home tonight, or Bing it, or whatever. Definitely it's, Bing it. 
well, it started in, in the literature world a few years ago, and now it's transcribed into art and design and movies and things like that. And it's the opposite of Mad Max. It's showing that what would our world look like if humans lived in harmony with nature, if we actually got ahead of this impeding climate breakdown. And so it's just very hopeful, very optimistic. But again, though, it's going to take a hard work to do that. So it's not going to be easy. Yeah. And I think that from an entertainment standpoint, there's a certain psychological part of us that wants that doom and gloom. You know, I was going to say that the are we ready to be all kumbaya and group hug <laughs> and all that stuff? Like, I don't know if like all of us attached to our phone and, you know, attached to our own lives and living in these kind of silos. More that, psychedelics. Yeah. That, <laughs> right. <laughs> there's an uh, art show tomorrow night in Oakland. <laughs> but I think there is something to that, just that idea that a lot of the science fiction that was happening 20, 40 years ago and how those things are coming true. We can just start visualizing things and creating visuals and stories in that place. That's really an interesting idea. I agree that we all want to have our emotional chains yanked for good or for ill, mm -hmm. right? So we want a reason to care. We want to feel moved. And I love, and I hope you've trademarked Dune Bloom. I bought the dot com. Way <laughs> to go. Oh my God, because I'm going to start like, you've just transformed my world, my friend. I've maybe, got to tell maybe you. Maybe I should trademark it. <laughs> please do. Seriously, please do. Um, <laughs> but Doom and Bloom. Doom and Doom Bloom. And bloom. Oh my god, that's just tonight. the best ever. I've got one for you I'll share with you later. I haven't trademarked it yet, but it's along those lines, but it's not as good as yours. Because we all know that from adversity comes amazing things, right? How many have dealt with just tremendous adversity and come out on the other side feeling so enlivened and richer of spirit and so much more? So if we take that look at it, you know, how do we take all of this incredible adversity and create our own bloom? Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I'm sure we've all had many conversations around greenwashing. And when we talk about shifting narratives, we grapple with this. And Richard and I have experiences firsthand with some projects that we've worked on where we're working with a company and they have a really good narrative and we entrust that they're working in good faith. And then, lo and behold, we come to find out that the data wasn't quite aligned with what we were talking about. Or uh, there's good work being done here, but over there. Right. Uh, and so my philosophy on that is there is no perfect team. There is no perfect company. So you can't just say, well, greenwashing, we're not going to do that. It's all a, a gradiated scale. What's your process to vet a good storyline you know, or a good narrative? I think that we're at that point where it's all about taking that first step. So with Seeding Change, we're following the history of people that have been striving to do this with their brands for 20 years. It took them 10 years at Numi to find an alternative to plastic. They've got a sugarcane-based wrapper now, and that's a game changer. Like, that just changes the world, right? What a leadership. It took them 10 years. They had to work with other brands and the One Step Closer Foundation, pool resources, and make this happen. What a breakthrough. Sambazon is a company, too. Like, they weren't organic right away. They were kind of going, well, you know, it's a lot cheaper to use the non-organic bananas in our smoothies and things like that. But I think that if you take the step and you keep taking the steps, I think it's the commitment to that end goal, right? And just saying, hey, I'm going to get on this path and do this path. Take it seriously. And know that I could always be doing better and I'm always striving to do better. But that's that kind of thing where we're like hopefulness versus helplessness, right? So I feel a lot better personally that I can take on 
on my own personal mission one step at a time rather than like, oh, I'm not doing enough, so I'm not going to do anything. So I mean, the minute I started thinking I can vote with my dollar every time I'm buying something, or now that I have my electric car, I can actually think about solar panels and then everything that's connected to that, right? So it's once I start taking those personal steps, then you know I get my own mission in order, then I can start like looking at other people's missions and evaluating on that and kind of shed light in more of a bloom rather than doom narrative because I think the politics that's a whole other thing that divide us and so I think that we take our own steps and we start feeling empowered and we start living out for ourselves and then we can share that solutions based approach with everyone around us. I'll add to that in sustainability in our industry it's all about continuous improvement. Authenticity doesn't lie. Authenticity is an anchor and so for a family business like ours my father grew up on a farm in South Dakota managing, you know, rye, barley, wheat, and would introduce a soil amendment called triticale to help fertilization. When he started our business over 50 years ago, it was with that respect for the land in mind and, you know, kind of organic soil amendments and all of that. 20 years ago, the industry put forth this sustainable wine growing program that blossomed into the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance that is now the credentialed benchmark for Believe it or not, more than 55% of California's vineyards are now certified California Sustainable, and 80% of the wines that you drink are certified California Sustainable wines. We have come such a long way, but in order to get there, we first had to map, and we were part of the 17 pilot participants in 2010. We had to map to 257 criteria against vineyards and are subject to a desk audit and a live audit every other year. And we can have our credentials revoked if we don't demonstrate continuous improvement. So you've got to start somewhere. Everybody has to start somewhere. But keeping us on that path toward desiring to do better, to be better, and to have accountability. Accountability is key. So I think that that's truly, truly part of the call to action is know where you want to start, where you can make your greatest impact and carry it forward. Just to quickly add to that, I think we should all just acknowledge the fact that there is no guidebook anywhere hidden on some mountaintop with all the right answers. Human beings have never experienced this before at all. And so we need to kind of be comfortable with the fact that we're going to fail and fuck up and try some things and some things are going to work out, some things are not going to work out. We should feel okay sharing successes and challenges with each other. Um, Collaboration is the new competition, period. And so with that, how can we create an open, I don't want to say open source, especially in this city, but how can we create uh, an open dialogue around all these things that will allow every company and every industry to move forward? If you go to drawdown.org slash solutions, each of those little thumbnails that highlight a solution space, there are countless companies within each one of those little thumbnails. And if each of those companies can share successes and challenges and everything in between, that whole solution space will be amplified. That's beautiful, right? More openness, more transparency, more honesty, more vulnerability. We've never experienced this before, so let's not act like we know it all. I was just gonna say, One Step Closer Foundation, who you'll see in Seating Change film, 
it's really inspiring that they're a nonprofit that bring brands together. So they all share resources and they work with brands as big as Patagonia and then as small as the brand you haven't heard yet, but they're all working toward the same goal. And I think that's really cool that you can actually look up one step closer and see what the brands they're working with and you can see how people are doing it together. And the startups are like just starting on their path and those brands like Numi and Patagonia, they've been trying for over 20 years, if not longer, to It's just leaders. in their brand DNA yeah, yeah. from the get-go. Yeah. There's just so much inspiration when we're trying to communicate with people across a lot of different interests and socioeconomic backgrounds and education levels and people that live in food deserts versus those that don't. And at the end of the day, it's like we need to just connect with everyone. So how do we do that? And I think that that's, you know, the big challenge. But I do think there are a lot of hopeful stories. And that's sort of what we've been looking at in kind of our storytelling is solutions. No, I'm just... (laughs) We're all just shaking. It's so good. (laughs) One of our philosophies is really good marketing and communication stems from three things. Knowing who you are as a brand or a company. What are our values? What is our mission? Who are we truly to the core? Do we know ourselves? And then the second pillar is who is our competition? What are they doing? What are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? How can we learn from that and position ourselves within the market? And arguably the most important is who is our audience and who are we speaking to and what are their deepest wants and desires and really that comes from empathy it comes from understanding this wide swath of the people that we're speaking to and I'd love to hear sort of your different approaches to understanding who your audience is and how you're speaking to them because that stuff transcends political parties and it transcends ideologies yeah so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that Design solves problems, it creates opportunities. We don't design for ourselves. Designers are not artists in my opinion. Designers create opportunities, solutions for other people. And it's the other people on the other end of that app, that poster, that book, whatever it is that we design, whatever it is that we put out into the world. The people on the other end of that thing, that object or that experience or that service really matters. And so when we start to design in silos, I like that typeface. I like that color palette. I like those images. That doesn't matter. It's the people on the other end of those objects or those services or those experiences that matter. And so if you're not putting the work into figuring out who that is, then I don't know what you're doing, but just pushing pixels. Because if you launch that thing and if you didn't do a good job of understanding who the humans are, I'm so over users and customers and audience, sorry. I have a a lot of hot takes. But um, the humans on the other end of the thing that you're creating as a designer, if we don't know who they are, then you can launch the thing and then it might work, but it might not. But if you put that much more effort in figuring out who they are, you'll have a better chance of being successful. To that point, at the beginning of our movie, we were looking for an opening quote to the movie. I just kept thinking of the climate deniers. That is sort of in the back of my mind, is how am I going to communicate with someone who denies there's even a problem, right? So Actively denies. Yeah, actively denies. So my first thought was, well, you know, Donald Trump's Secretary of State had a quote about climate. It becomes a political dialogue. It's like, how do we talk about it? You know, and I find myself up against this, whether I'm talking about vaccines or about food inequity or racial issues or what, you know, all these things, like how do I talk to someone who's really just doesn't want to hear what I have to say? And I think that's what's always in the back of my mind. You know, I don't know what the answer is really, but I think what we did in Seeding Change, I mean, I knew that when we were like out there on Rotten Tomatoes that certain critics are going to start basically calling us out because we're really pushing an agenda, a mission through storytelling. So I knew we were going to be called out for that. But because we were so 
so solutions-based and because we involved everyone and including the next generation and the students, that one critic said, well, it's kind of a one-sided argument they're bringing forth, but who's going to take the other side of the argument? So we didn't really talk about like, hey, climate change is happening. Like, you guys got to jump on this bandwagon. It's more like, hey, here are the problems and here are some of the solutions and isn't this cool? Like, and look who's doing it, right? And like, that's kind of where I think we found the sweet spot is really in that, like, look how cool the bloom is. And you start getting into learning things about solar honey, right? Like, if you actually plant solar panels and bee habitat, you can make honey and the solar panels are going to work better and the honey is going to be better and the, there's going to be more bees and like, we're talking about benefit, benefit, benefit. How effing cool is that? So, you know, and that gets me excited and that gets everyone excited. Gets my... The bees have gets, no political agenda. It, yeah, and it gets, you know, even the guy that over here was snickering at your climate change conversation all of a sudden like, hey, that's pretty cool, those bees, you know? And that's the way I look at it too is there's certain ways that we go about talking about it where it's like the majority of humans are going to pick the forest over the clear cut. I've got a great story. I'm just loving all of this so much. So if you ask my 86-year-old father who still is active in the business daily, like seven days a week, we don't need marketing <laughs> because for our wine business... Wine sells itself. Exactly. Wine sells itself, particularly if it's vineyard-driven wine. Really good. So um, to your point, at the end of the day, it's about your values. It's about living your values. It's about being authentic. And when we installed our three-acre solar photovoltaic tracking array in 2008, kind of before there was this, you know, interest, it was because we knew we were doing the right thing. It was a huge capital outlay, but it's hard to argue with back then it was preserving 512 acres of forest or not driving 97 million miles over the lifetime of the array. You know, hard to argue with that. At the end of the day, we're not flashy. We're really down to earth. And you know what? Blind taste our wines against any of the competition. <laughs> because the story is in the quality. It's about our values. And we have so much fun doing what we do to reach our audiences. But at the end of the day, it's about the quality. It's about the values of being a family-owned and operated company and how we treat our employees. The fact that we have a DEI committee and that we have more women in positions of female leadership in our business than we have men. So, you know, we're doing all the right things and we're communicating in all the ways that make sense, but we're also going to be true to who we are as stewards as well. I want to say one last thing on that because we actually haven't talked as much about people as we probably should have and Mark can take this up from what I'm going to say, but this idea of including everyone is so powerful and I think that that's at the root of pandemic problems or problems with regards to inequity and women in leadership positions or people of color, right? Working on justice, equity, diversity, inclusion issues, you start getting into that, you realize how much value their studies, McKinsey studies, you put women in leadership positions, you're going to be 42% more successful. Other conversations aside, if you're just really, you know, appeal to people being selfish and like, hey, I just need my bottom line to get better. It just makes sense to do good when you start looking at it that way. So you really have an argument to do business for good. The people discussion, it's at the heart of it, right? Taking care of the workers and putting the right people in leadership positions and through your brands and through your
your communications, through your stories, really talking to everyone, letting everyone have a voice and a seat at the table. And that's exciting to me. That's going to get us through some of these difficulties we're having with the division. Yeah, and one last thing on that too, outside of inviting people into every step of the process in terms of your business and what it is that you create, I think the other thing to think about too would be, and this is more so with companies that are maybe dragging their ass getting into the climate space, is that you can't do business on a dead planet. The people on the other end of your product or service or experience, are they going to really care about what you do and what you provide for them when they're worried about that wildfire over the hill? Or are they worried about that flood that's going to happen when our 10th atmospheric river comes you know, in Central Valley, right? It behooves all of us to really think about how we can invite as many voices into the conversation as possible, and then at the same time, think about those people that are going to be on the other end of that thing that you do as a business. And the dissenting voices, because I'm shocked to find as I travel the country for business that there are climate deniers. I thought that everyone was like me, <laughs> you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so, you know, am I going to convert? First, I have to engage and I have to hear their thoughts, but I will use every tool in my toolbox to try to inspire and hopefully convert and change that tune. Yeah, and I think that being open to dissension and being able to have difficult conversations with people. Another film that I did was a piece of African-American history, and it became an important piece of African-American history. It was a movie called 12 Miles North, the Nick Gabaldon story. And it's about the first documented African-American surfer during the Jim Crow era in L.A. in 1950s. And I had backlash because I'm a male white director telling a black story, right? So I had to go into the communities and have those difficult conversations, and I had to let go of my defensiveness and my desire to be right. I'm here, I'm going to make the movie. I'm right because this story needs to be told. It's more like, no, I'm going to hear you. Why don't you want me to be telling this story? How can we tell this story together? So having gone through that, in a way, certain people didn't want to be part of my movie in the black community because I was telling it. It's like, okay, wait, let's have a conversation. Putting myself in their shoes, what happened to their parents or grandparents that I might not have experienced through my family background? So I think in America, like having filmed in South Africa, they've had that tension face-to-face with apartheid, right? And they had to fight through it, and they're still battling a lot of issues, but they've come to terms with certain things going through that that we haven't in America. We haven't really faced that race discussion and gone through that dialogue that's difficult. We haven't healed yet, because we're scared to talk about it, I think, because it's a difficult conversation. So that's why we need to have everyone speaking. We need to figure out ways to get that dialogue going. Absolutely. I have 17 more questions. We could probably go for three more hours, but we do have another panel coming up after this. So thank you, everyone on the panel. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Let's give it up for Richard, Cynthia, and Mark. Thank you, everyone. This was amazing. Thank you. And also, thank you to that San Francisco Climate Week, folks. Morgan, thank you. Uh, This has been an amazing event so far. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Thank you for listening to Darts in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like, subscribe, and share our content. The goal of this podcast is to amplify the voices of businesses, organizations, and individuals enacting true change and impact. If you know someone you think would be a great guest on our show, please let us know. We're always looking for the next great conversation to share. Thank you. Thank you.